everyone runs away. I do. Usually it's not for long. A holiday, a gap year. Sometimes I just lock myself in a room and play records by rock stars who died in their bathtubs. But I really ran away this time. I had to go. My mom and stepfather were both trying to be backseat drivers in my life. And the only place they were driving me to was Looney Town near Crazyville, Arizona. But if I had to be honest with myself, the main reason I ran away was Davy Silverman. Davy was my guy back home. Capital G, capital B, capital H. He was tall, with blue eyes, floppy corn blonde hair, and a sweet smile that could make flowers grow through asphalt. Ah, you've guessed it. There's a but. And like the rear view of Susie Jo Morgan, who sat in front of me at high school, it's a big but. Davy wasn't the cleverest guy in the universe. Not stupid, just not that bright. He wasn't interested in the world outside the States. Or the world outside the Rose Bowl Stadium, come to think of it. He was your classic jock. He'll still smell of liniment and crotch powder when they stick him in the ground. So, it's the usual story. Girl's about to leave for college, and she has to make big choices. She stuck with her guy back home all through school, but thinks that him turning up in his car every other weekend, sitting in her communal kitchen and getting drooled over by her roomies, might not be what she wants. Now, girlie's got to decide. The big wide world or the little piece of dirt she came from. Big choice. So I ran. I had the chance and I took it. Of course I took it. You get a chance to lose yourself in time and space and tell me you wouldn't take it. Hi, I'm Perry, which is short for Perpigillium Brown. I'm a first year botany student at Cal State I travel with my friend, the doctor, which is short for curses I'm going to get my evil revenge on you, doctor. He's tall, with blue eyes, floppy corn blonde hair, and a very sweet smile. But here's the twist. He is the cleverest guy in the universe. And he travels a lot. He's also an alien, but likes cricket, drinks tea, talks like Prince Charles, and pretends he's English. I can relate to that. I have a cousin in New York who wears a big green hat and drinks Guinness every St. Patrick's Day. And he's about as Irish as a box of Lucky Charms. We travel in time and space in a thing called the TARDIS. On the outside, it looks as big as the closet I have back in my bedroom in Baltimore. But inside, it's huge. It's got a control room which looks two parts NASA and three parts game show studio. The doctor's a bit like a game show host himself. You ever see Jeopardy? The host says seemingly random words that sound like answers to very interesting questions. But the trick is to guess at what the question might be. It's a flag-up message on my Vortex page, said the doctor. See what I mean? There's an answer, but what's the question? I guess the question might be, what's that purple earwig doing hovering in the air in front of us holding a spray can in its mandible? Much amazement, squeaked the earwig. Just aim in the 
The doctor looked impatient. Come on, come on. Is that earwig threatening us? I asked. No, he's trying to sell us something. The Vortex system is free to use, but it does carry a lot of advertisements. Ah, here we go at last. The earwig vanished and was replaced by a fish in a spacesuit who called himself Zarl and talked about an amazing source of water he'd found. The doctor smiled grimly. Finally, I knew if I tagged enough aggressive alien life forms on my Vortex page, one would vlog about his evil plans on the Interhub. You mean some monster's stupid enough to reveal his evil schemes on a computer? I said, wrinkling my nose. That's just weird. You'd be surprised at what some life forms are willing to let slip when they're sitting at a keyboard. So, who's Zarl? I asked. He's a Piscon. They're like the Pescatons in many respects, just a bit less violent. That doesn't help, Doctor. Who are the Pescatons? The Doctor stared at nothing. Hmm, good question. How can I describe the Pescatons? Well, sort of like the Piscons in many respects, just a bit more violent. I get this stuff all the time when the Doctor gets distracted. If I killed him at this point, there'd be no jury in the galaxy that'd convict me. I nudged him in the ribs and said, Little bit more, please, O Oracle of the Universe. The Doctor smiled. They both originate from planets in the star system of Pycos. The Pescaton's planet was destroyed by an expanding sun, and the Piscon's planet was only slightly luckier. Their planet was turned to desert. The Piscons go around the cosmos appropriating water and selling it to themselves. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. Happens on my planet, too. Why are you interested in this guy? The decent, law-abiding Piscons stick to taking water from uninhabited worlds. The less scrupulous ones... Well, they aren't as scrupulous. Oh, don't tell me, I said. Earth in danger again. Earth in danger again, confirmed the doctor grimly, setting the controls. We left the TARDIS. I saw white walls and white floors. We were in another corridor. I gave him my look. My special look with the arched eyebrows and the twitchy mouth that I'd cultivated over many years. This look really got on my mom's nerves. Got on Davy's nerves, too. <laughs> Hell, it could get on the Dalai Lama's nerves. What's the matter now, he sighed. This isn't Earth. We're in a spaceship probably flying directly into a supernova if I know the TARDIS. Not at all, Perry. The doctor was hurt. It's a shopping mall, to use your idiom. It's definitely Earth, Los Angeles, 2009 AD. Look. He had turned a corner and was pointing at a fast food restaurant. It was covered in bright colors and trying too hard to look happy, like someone smiling so wide they seemed insane. I snorted. <laughs> that doesn't prove anything. In 2009, they probably conquered half the galaxy. Hardly, Perry, he said. That was in 2050. Very funny. I stopped. Something registered. Did you just say 2009? We're in 2009? Yes, he said simply. Not a problem, is it? We emerged from the mall and stood blinking in the sunlight, and I breathed the heady scent of carbon monoxide. 
I was nearly home. Nearly the right place. Nearly the right time. I could feel it. Taste it. 2009. I wondered if they had bases on the moon by now. I wondered if Frankie Goes to Hollywood was still at the top of the European charts with that damn song. I wondered if my mom was still alive. Was Howard? My dog would definitely be long gone. Poor little Whiskey. I wondered what Davy was doing now. I forced myself to stop thinking like that. That way lies complete madness. I didn't think about dead dogs and ex-boyfriends when I landed on the planet Gargarod in the 31st century. So I shouldn't think like that when I'm on Earth in the 21st. The doctor was holding a small black device like a TV remote. He rotated himself about 90 degrees, pointing at Santa Monica Bay, and the device chirped. Alien technology. That must be him. Come on, Perry. The game's afoot. All of a sudden, we're dashing along the bay, dodging skateboarding transsexuals and body-popping trends. Culture shock doesn't even come close. How did people get so fat? How did people get so thin? I couldn't believe the billboards for movies and TV shows. They all featured skeletal actresses, tiny little lollipop-shaped girls with stick bodies and huge heads. How could they be considered normal, let alone attractive? Then I remembered with a cold shudder. When I left Earth in the 80s, there was a lot of panic about diseases. Obviously, there was an epidemic in the 21st century. They must have been forced to use these actresses because there were no healthy ones left. We arrived at a department store. I'd forgotten how much I loved to shop. Perhaps this adventure could combine alien hunting with shoe hunting. I realized my mind was getting hysterical, so I reached inside to give it a metaphorical slap. The doctor dived inside the store, and I was about to follow when I stopped. I never really thought about the phrase, something walked over my grave, but I did now. It must have been dreamt up by a time traveler. Maybe the doctor coined it in one of his journeys into history, and someone like Byron wrote it down. Anyway, something walked over my grave. I turned and saw a woman looking at me from across the street, or at least... I guess she was looking at me. Her eyes were hooded by visor-like sunglasses that made her look like a giant fly. She stood there by the don't walk sign. Oil black hair hung down in bangs across her forehead and dropped to her shoulders, framing her face sculpted by cheekbones and extreme dieting. She was wearing a, a beautifully tailored coat, bunched in at the waist and flattering the hips and bust, which made her look like a very expensive bottle of perfume. There she stood, motionless, inscrutable. <laughs> Cleopatra dressed by Fifth Avenue. I recognized her, or rather I felt I should. You know when you see someone who used to be on TV years ago on a show you really loved? It's a face you used to look at every day. But now it's changed in all sorts of ways, distorted by time. <sighs> who the hell was she? Did she used to be the Fonz's girlfriend on Happy Days? Or some green good-time girl from Star Trek? The doctor shouted at me to hurry up. I glanced up at him. And when I glanced back, the woman was gone. I 
I went into the store. My God, what had happened? It was derelict and dark, escalators frozen. Dummies were lying like corpses across the floor. Closing down sale? <laughs> Seriously? World War III must have happened. I thought this place would have outlasted the cockroaches. On the first floor, in what was once the lingerie department, was the doctor, struggling with a seven-foot-tall fish in a spacesuit. Help me, Perry! cried the doctor. The piscon turned and snarled at me. Now it was up close. I saw it resembled an angelfish with deep black stripes on its cheeks and fins that crested over its head. Its huge mouth flapped open to reveal rows and rows of broken teeth that looked like a badly maintained cemetery. The piscon showed no sign of releasing the doctor, so I grabbed a weapon from a pile of broken dummies and launched myself stupidly right into the middle of things, bashing it over the head with a plastic leg. I guess the fishing lobby guys were wrong. Fish can feel pain the same way as humans. The piscon flailed around, letting go of the doctor and knocking me to the floor. It burbled at me. I'm sorry. Are you all right? I don't get many evil monsters asking after my welfare, so I didn't quite know how to react to that one. Um, I, 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 I'm fine. I stuttered. It actually reached down a fin to help me up. Then it recoiled, shaking its head and saying, "Do not attempt to get in my way, foolish land dweller." And off it waddled, clutching its head. I looked at the doctor. Looks like he's escaped. The doctor pulled out two of the plastic arms from the pile and held them as far apart as he could. Yes, he did get away. But did you see the size of him? He must have been this big. I levered myself off the floor. Very funny. He looked in the direction where the piscon had disappeared. Interesting. He seemed rather confused, poor fellow. I offered to help him find another water-rich planet, and that seemed to stump him. I was just trying to be reasonable, and he lost his temper. Maybe you just got on his nerves. You have to admit, it has been known in the past. Hmm. The doctor was lost in thought. He walked away, twiddling with his machine. I pulled myself up on the countertop and sat there, surveying the wreckage of my childhood. I was sure I'd got the shorts I was wearing from there. I looked around at the last shreds of discounted stock. Then I saw something that didn't belong—a very, very expensive designer coat, like the one worn by the woman from the sidewalk. It was being worn by the woman from the sidewalk. She was crouching down behind the counter. She got up, dusting her knees vigorously. My God! Look, this is Roberto Cavalli Cashmere. I'm never going to get the marks out. Listen, Toots, meet me in the coffee shop on Starfish Street in an hour. The one called "Are You Being Served?" Can you get there without being run over or falling down? Please try. Now, I want to say this right now. I don't do impressions. I'm telling you the story as best I can. And I'm doing the sort of excitable P.G. Woodhouse stuff the doctor does, but when it comes down to it, the doctor does not sound like me putting on a posh voice. But this woman, 
she sounded exactly like the voice I'm doing for her. I kind of guessed right there and then who she was. She left, clattering down the dead escalator in her unsuitable shoes. I'm just heading out to the pier, I shouted. See if Zal's lurking near the sea. The doctor nodded. Good thinking. But he wasn't really listening. He was in one of those I-want-to-investigate-alone moods of his. Well, that was okay. He wasn't the only one. The coffee shop was typically L.A. It was themed after some obscure British comedy actor. His gap-toothed grin was all over the walls. The woman was sitting in the corner, staring out of the window like Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's. She beckoned over to me, and I sat down at her table. Now, I'm going to take these glasses off. I guess you should prepare yourself for a shock. Okay. She took her glasses off. Oh, my God, I said. I said it would be a shock. Green eyeshadow and purple blusher? That's horrible. Oh, you're so funny. I can see where I get my legendary wit from. Of course I was shocked. The woman was me. Or so she seemed. Older, yes. But definitely me. My jawline had softened. There were little pouches at the sides of the mouth that reminded me of my own mom. Weirdly, though, her forehead had less wrinkles than mine. And there was something very different about her face. My face. Of course. It was as plain as... That nose on your face! That's new! Yeah. You like it? It's nice. Thanks. I picked it myself, hardy ha ha Her eyes dipped down and settled on my chest. My God. They were never that high up. Please tell me they're underwired. No, of course they're not. No. There is no way you could hide suspension in that top. Or anything else, for that matter. She peered again at my décolletage and then at her own. She pushed up her left breast experimentally. How the mighty have fallen, she sighed. When you've finished undressing me with your eyes, perhaps you can explain what you're doing hiding behind a counter in a dead department store. Hey, sooner or later the credit crunch will be over, and when it does, I'm going to be first in line for the sale. Oh, be serious for a second. This is me you're talking to. She sighed. And then she produced a wallet and flashed me a card. Okay, Perry. Truth is, I'm Secret Agent Perpagillian Brown. I'm with a quasi-government agency which investigates alien insurgents hostile to the homeland. The homeland? That is, this country, the United States of America. Okay, right. And how's my dog doing? Sorry? Whiskey. You remember whiskey? Little orange spaniel, wet in mom's bed. I'm sure he'd be dead by now. Sorry, I'm rambling. You're right. I think I'm in shock. I'm shaking. You and every other caffeine addict here. Get yourself a coffee and calm down. My older self reached into her bag and pulled out a tiny silver flask, which she poured into her coffee. Within seconds, the waitress bustled over and I hid behind the menu. Excuse me, she said. Only drinks brought at the counter can be consumed on the premises. Then she saw my older self's face and recoiled, backing away into the corner. Oh, I do apologize, Dr. Brown. I didn't realize it was you. She took my order, glancing at my other self all the time. After a very lengthy discussion where I worked very hard to get a normal coffee and defended myself against threats of cinnamon, vanilla syrup and chocolate sprinkles, she left. What was that all about? What was what all about? That waitress, she recognized you. 
She looked vaguely over to the waitress who was working the coffee machine. Oh, she's a fellow agent. She's been working the shop undercover for four years now. She's a lousy agent, but makes one mean frappuccino. Something wasn't right here. I looked at the flask. Is that what I think it is? I don't know. What do you think it is? I don't drink that stuff. I tried my dad's once and hated it. I know, girly. I've got all your memories. Prove it. What? Prove you've got my memories. Who was the first guy we went out with? Oh, we're doing teenage crushes as our weapon of choice, are we? I love a girl who fights dirty. Just answer the question. Well, that was easy. George Stewart, a.k.a. Curious George. Other known aliases include George of the Bungle and George the Turd. And where did he take us on our first date? She grinned, and tiny wrinkles blossomed from the corners of her eyes and mouth. <laughs> Trick question. He didn't take us anywhere. I wore this real short skirt, and he was so busy looking at my legs, he drove his dad's car into the mailbox at the bottom of the drive. <laughs> my God, George Stewart. I haven't thought about him in years. What a sweaty, dumb, small-town loser. Hey, don't talk about your first husband like what? that. What? You're kidding. Of course I am. Oh, never do that to me again. Now, if I had a husband, it would have to be Davy Silverman, wouldn't it? My old self looked at me long and hard. She looked like I just punched her in the face. Davy Silverman, I prompted. Blonde, nice guy, pectorals you could use to shelter from the rain. I don't suppose we... No, we didn't. My other self had an expression. I knew that expression. That's the face I pull when I'm trying to hide something. I did, didn't I? I married him. I married Davy Silverman. Okay, you got me. We married him. So, I guess that answered my question. Which way I would jump when I got back home? Funny. I always thought I'd leave the small town and choose the big, wide world. But knowing my choice, removing that uncertainty, it made me feel very calm. It almost made me impatient to leave the doctor now and get on with living the life I'd put on hold. Wow. So, Davy Silverman. He always said he would wait. Well, he was a very determined guy. He punched his hand through the door in his room when I told him we might want to take a break. So, I'm Perpagillium Silverman now. <laughs> Sounds like a concept album from the 1970s, but I like it. I always had an idea if I didn't meet anyone at college, I'd end up with Davy. So, we still together? How about kids? We were interrupted by the girl from the counter bringing my order. My older self sighed. Put her sunglasses back on. Michael is working overseas, living knee-deep in mud and feeding natives. Just how he likes it. Janie's just got her first Broadway job. She's understudying someone she hates and wants to throw down the stairs. Paul, well, Paul's Paul. He rings me up every day, and every day he pretends he's cured cancer. And every day he pretends to drop the vital Petri dish and rings off saying, Back to the drawing board, Mom. That's amazing, I said. And I meant it. Amazingly, I had exactly the same amount of kids as I'd always dreamed about. Two boys and a girl. Also what I wanted. With the names I'd given them and the professions I'd imagined for them. How very convenient. She got up abruptly. I have to go to the bathroom. I stared after her for a full two minutes. My mind spiked with caffeine, suspicion and unanswered questions. 
I would have completely carried on gawping like a fish had a fish not smashed into the coffee shop window. It clumped inside. It was waving a black rod that made buzzing noises like a metal detector. As soon as it neared the deli counter, the rod shrieked. The piscon pulled it away. It went silent. It pointed it at the deli counter again. The rod shrieked again. The piscon looked very confused by this development. What is this substance? The waitress looked at him with slack-jawed bemusement. Uh, it's tuna with mayo. This is not of piscon origin. No, it's from the Walmart on Crenshaw Boulevard. But don't tell the customers, they think it's fresh. Piscon turned to look at my older self, who had emerged from the bathroom. Greetings to you, and welcome to our world, Flipper. If you want a job in this coffee bar, you have to join the queue behind the other immigrants. I groaned. Looks like I still couldn't keep my big mouth shut, even in 2009. The Piscon advanced on her. Where is Zarl? Oh, dear. Actually, I, I thought you were Zarl. I am Major Zorn of the Piscon Law Enforcement Squad. Where is Zarl? I suddenly realized what was happening with the rod thing. I rushed around the back of the deli counter, grabbed the container of tuna mayo, and ran out. Hey, I'm Zarl, I screamed. Come and get me. The piscon pointed his rod at me, and it went crazy. It clumped after me, slow and steady, but remorseless. I ran, wobbling in my unsuitable shoes, my optimism shoes. Everywhere I arrive, I leave the TARDIS in heels, optimistically expecting not to be chased by monsters. And every time, I end up running for my life, hot alien breath on my neck, my ankles screaming out for flats. I was just thinking that I was going to outrun it when it came out of nowhere ahead of me. No, it wasn't that Piscon. It was another Piscon. It was joined by a third, a fourth, hemming me in. There was a crackle of energy between them, a glowing, pulsing mesh. My God, I thought, I'm being hunted down by fish, and they're using nets to catch me. Who was it that said the U.S. was an irony-free country? Piscons moved closer to one another, closing the circle around me. The energy from the nets was making the hairs on my arms twitch and dance. And then, where there were four Piscons, there were now two. One had flown through the air and splatted onto the road. Another had been punched against the side of a wall where it slid down, enveloped in its own electrical net. There was an odd odor which smelled too much like smoked mackerel. The reason they'd gone flying screeched to a halt in front of me, gunning its engine. My older self craned her neck out of the passenger window and yelled, You little twerp! What's the point of risking your life to save me? If you get killed, I don't happen! I piled in the back, gasping for air. Then I screamed as I noticed what was driving. Some kind of alien! Then it glanced back at me and I realized it was just a very unfortunate woman with a very unfortunate face. She had huge, spongy lips and a large overbite that looked like it could swallow Manhattan. That was some serious plastic surgery on that woman's face. Thank God my older self had just stopped at the nose. The woman seemed just as shocked to see me. Who's the girl? She looks just like you. Quick as a flash, my other self made up some story about me being her long-lost daughter. I played along doing the rejected teenager act. Funnily enough, it didn't take much of a stretch. Doctor, I'd like you to meet someone, I said brightly. Oh, yes. 
muttered the doctor, trying to connect two bits of alien machinery with what looked suspiciously like suspender belts. He created a makeshift workshop in the shell of the deserted department store. Have you found a friend? Hey, doctor. Long time no see. The doctor turned around and almost somersaulted when he saw who was with me. He dived under a desk. He finally peeped over, moving carefully out to face us. Then he took my right hand and held it over my older self's shoulder. He dropped it gingerly, like he was completing a detonation circuit. Nothing happened. The doctor whipped out his granny glasses and peered at us. You met, and there was no explosion. You should have seen us in the coffee shop, I said. The doctor frowned. Old Blinovich is never wrong. Fascinating. He stared at me, and then at my other self. Your nose he said finally. Is that a... Yep, it is, said my other self. There was a big embarrassed silence which filled the room. Well, said the doctor finally, it's been really nice catching up on old times, Perry, but as you know, only too well, duty calls. Perry and I are rather busy tracking down an alien undesirable and we really have to get on. Actually, doctor, I think I can help you with your Piscon problem. We've been keeping an eye on the Piscons, and Zarl in particular, for a while. She flashed her card. I'm Agent Perpagillian Brown, Alien Insurgent Division. The doctor looked at me, surprised. You never told me you had ambitions to join a paramilitary organization. I don't, I said coldly. I was developing deep suspicions about her. Hmm, hummed the doctor. Perhaps your experiences with me encourage you to take it up as a career. That sounds feasible, I said. Hello, people! The other Perry wasn't used to being ignored, I could tell. Intelligence operative in the room here. You could ask me questions if you like. I have a question for you. Why is Zarl so intent on fighting the doctor? Good question, me. The truth is, Zarl is not a criminal. He's a scientist. He isn't behaving much like a scientist to me. It's precisely the reason why he's behaving that way. Piscon science specializes in the study of psychokinetics, the psychic manipulation of energy. As a byproduct of their studies, they made a major discovery, one that every civilization across the universe has dreamed of making. They discovered where their souls go when they die. That's ridiculous, retorted the doctor. I'm very open-minded about such things, but the soul, as it is understood, is not something that can be measured scientifically. It's a nonsense. My older self shrugged. Call it what you like. But they found out where they go when their souls swim upstream, as they poetically call it. She paused for dramatic effect. They get reborn in human bodies. You're joking! Oh, not all of them do, but some. They've conducted experiments, taken humans off Earth and proved it. John Denver, he was a fish. Jim Morrison, Buddy Holly, the crew of the Mary Celeste. That's why so many humans have really bad plastic surgery that gives them huge lips and overbites. They're subconsciously trying to return to their true states. You mean they're all trying to look like giant fish? Yep. The woman who drove us here suddenly looked very nervous. Why is everyone staring at me? My older self went over to her and patted her sadly on the shoulder. Sorry, Beretta. I've been keeping you under observation for years now. Brace yourself. But you are, in fact, a reincarnation of the long-dead Piscon woman Zill, whom Zal was married to and still happens to be hopelessly in love with. The fish lady's big wet lips hung open, and an expression of grief tried to cross her face, but failed. 
and she burst into tears and ran out. I thought my other self was going to run after her, reassure her. That's what I would have done. She didn't blink. God, she was a cool customer. Anyhow, she continued, the discovery brought problems. Piscons would come here to die and be reborn. Some would come to escape justice. Some to be reunited with dead loved ones. The exodus of Piscon kind was becoming a problem. The doctor looked thoughtful. Like salmon swimming upstream. A compulsion to come to a certain place so they can die. Exactly, doctor, she said. It was so weird the way she said, doctor. Like she was his equal. I realized I was jealous of myself. The problem got so bad that they instituted measures to stop Earth becoming the Piscon euthanasia capital of the galaxy. They patrol it with Piscon police. It's true, I piped up. There's other Piscons roaming about. They're looking for Zarl. She continued. And most importantly of all, they install limiters in all Piscon brains that make it impossible for them to commit suicide. She looked at the doctor. Which is where you come in. Me? He looked comically surprised. Yes, you, doctor. As I say, Zarl is not a villain. His problem is he's in love with his dead wife. He's intent on reincarnating as a human and joining her on Earth. But the catch is, he can't commit suicide. His plan is simple. Go all supervillain on a passing hero, i.e. you, get defeated and destroyed by you, and pass along to the great hereafter, hopefully in human form. Are you kidding? He's using the doctor to commit euthanasia? That's crazy. He's not the first Piscon to try it, and he probably won't be the last. Best just to give him his wish. Ideally, they prefer to go using their own weapons. If you use this Piscon Warrior Blaster to defeat him, then I'm sure it will make him very happy. She pulled out a stubby green gun from her jacket and dangled it between her thumb and forefinger. She held it below the doctor's nose. The doctor took the gun and turned it over in his hands with disdain. There's no question of me defeating him. Not with this or any other weapon. I refuse to be used in such a way. My old self shrugged. If you don't, you know what will happen. He will perform more mischief. He'll blow up buildings, hold world leaders to ransom. He'll force you to act against him. The doctor shook his head vigorously, allowing his blonde locks to flap around his collar. No, I don't think I'll tackle the problem with one of these. He stared disapprovingly at the gun. I'm shocked you even think that's an option. I was pretty shocked too. Well, if you want to think of something else, you better think of it fast, she growled. The doctor steered her to one side to have a chat. Grown-up stuff, I guessed. Yes, I was definitely jealous of myself. He returned without her, and without another word went back to his work. He obviously didn't want to talk about it. Hours passed. I sat there in silence. I thought about my other self. She was so brutal and sure of herself. I thought you grew less certain about stuff when you grew older. The idea that I would think using a gun solved anything. To be fair, though, I suppose I had a pretty different outlook before I met the doctor. I'd been hunting with Dad. I'd carried a gun. Perhaps... When I leave the doctor, I change again. I was so lost in my thoughts. I didn't notice Zal creep up behind us. He caught the doctor unawares and gave him a huge shove, which sent him sprawling. 
Saul lumbered towards me, grabbing a clothes rail. He raised it high above my head! over me, roaring and snarling and shouting. I closed my eyes and waited for my skull to be crushed. The Dolly Parton song, Islands in the Stream, had been stuck in my head since we landed, and I wondered if it was going to be rattling around my brain for all eternity in the afterlife. I wondered why I wasn't dead yet. Zala was sure taking his time. I opened my eyes. He was still roaring and snarling and growling, but not doing much else. He held the clothes rail above my head, like a sound guy holding a boom mic on a movie set. And then it was all over. Zal was lying in a heap at my feet, and the doctor was getting up looking very pleased with himself. How's that? He grinned. Not a bad little in-swing, if I do say so myself. The doctor picked up the head of a store mannequin he'd bowled at Zarl's head, hefting it in his hand and tossing it in the air, a cheery grin on his face. It just goes to show I'm perfectly capable of solving a problem without guns. Even as he said it, I noticed he was slipping the alien blaster into his coat pocket. I'll never say cricket is boring ever again, I gasped, at least until you make me watch it. That was a close thing. Was it? The doctor raised an eyebrow. From where I was lying, it didn't seem a close thing at all. I knew what he meant. You're right. He could have easily smashed my head in. He was waiting for you to stop him. Exactly, agreed the doctor. It looks like your future self was telling the truth. I threw him a scowl. I know she's me, but I don't like her and I don't trust her. I suppose you must think I'm nuts to think that. Not at all, he smiled. I know how you feel, truly. Zal was out cold. The doctor's woggle or google or whatever he'd thrown at him caught him right in the gills. We dragged him into a corner and propped him up against a pillar. The doctor dipped in his pockets and pulled out a set of strange-looking handcuffs. They were encrusted with buttons and switches. He swung me round by the shoulders to face him and talked very slowly, as if inviting me to read his lips. Now listen carefully, Perry. I've secured Zal with special temporal handcuffs which are escape-proof. They will occupy that exact spot in space and time until the end of time, unless they're removed by inputting the correct sequence of numbers. I'm going to tell you the combination now, and I really want you to remember it. Concentrate now. Okay, Doctor, I said dutifully. I gave a little salute. Listen extremely carefully. It's 21 11 62. Got that? 21 11 62. Got it. Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? No sweat, Doctor. It's the date of my mother's wedding anniversary. 
I'm not likely to forget. The doctor looked relieved. That's useful. I looked down at Zara. Doctor, I said casually, would it really be so bad if we helped him? I mean, if he wants to go join his wife, what's so bad about that? I mean, it is his life after all. The doctor looked thoughtfully at me. Nothing in itself. In certain civilizations, it's not frowned upon at all. There are as many different attitudes to the sanctity of life as there are species in the universe. Well, then why... I started to speak, but the doctor raised his finger. But the point is, if I do help him and his plan works, what are the implications for this planet? It will inevitably encourage more Piscons to come to Earth and create mayhem, hoping that a passing philanthropist like myself will stop them. There's a reason why the Piscon police are here to stop him, and we should respect the laws of his own people. Zarl chose that moment to wake up. Oh, release me at once, Doctor! I, Zarl, command it! Well, I might, Zarl, but that depends. I found this note in a pocket of your spacesuit. The Doctor produced a small piece of paper and read from it. Things to do. One, extract Earth's oceans. Two, blow up Statue of Liberty. Three, Detonate nuclear device on San Andreas Fault. Four, kidnap the president and send him to White House a piece at a time, starting with his ears. Five, well, you get the idea. Now, I might be persuaded to release you on condition that you promise not to try all those naughty things on your list. I will not stop my plans, Doctor. I do these things in the name of conquest and in the name of the glorious Piston Empire. You will have to destroy me first! You don't have to pretend anymore, Zarl. We know what you're doing and why you're doing it. The Piscon fell silent. I've been reliably informed that you're trying to force me to destroy you. I'm very sorry that you're taking this drastic action. And as much as I respect your reasons, I can't help you, I'm afraid. Zarl said nothing. The Piscon police are here, so I can hand you over to them and let them decide what to do with you. One problem I don't have to sort out for a change. At the mention of the Piscon police, Zarl grew agitated. I must not be given to them. It is vital they do not apprehend me. He struggled against the handcuffs. Sorry, old chap, said the doctor cheerfully. Won't work. You're wearing time cuffs. You should be pleased. They're what all the fashionable supervillains are wearing this year. Perry, Mark II, returned, swanning in like she'd just come from a salon. She took one look at Zarl and pulled her shades down her nose to take a better look. You got him. You got Zarl. That was quick work. Yeah, no thanks to you. Hey, always room in the alien-busting business for a gifted amateur. Perhaps we could team up and you could be my rookie. Perry and Perry. That would be the oddball couple to end all oddball couples. The doctor went off to go look for the Piscon police and left us both to guard Zarl. We waited in stony silence. The only sound was a faint gurgle coming from Zarl and the impatient flap of pages as Miss Barbarella flicked through an obsolete underwear catalogue. I thought she'd be on the phone to her CIA buddies, dialing up the SWAT team. But she looked like she hadn't got a care in the world. So, Perry, Dr. Brown, what made you, us, become a secret agent? Ah, the usual. Excitement, adventure... Once you get a taste for fighting aliens, it never quite leaves you. Really? I always thought I was the kind of girl who'd be happy to settle down after my adventures. 
Forget the monsters and live the quiet life. Well, obviously, I don't know me very well. Really? Yeah, really. And what does your husband think about what you do? He's cool about it. Couldn't be cooler. Really? All that danger, travel, being away from home? That's the last thing he'd want me to do. Well, I know him a lot better than you. Really? I refer the honorable lady to my previous answer. Yeah, really. And the kids? Michael, Janie, and Paul? They love it. Who wouldn't? Look at me. I'm super mom. I can't see Davy being happy. He barely let me out of his sight the first three months we went out. He got nervous when I used the subway once. Yeah. He's a protective man. He's also a very patriotic man. Believe me, little sister, a lot's changed since the 80s. And I don't just mean no glitter lipstick and leg warmers. All of America's enemies are the good guys now, and we're the bad guys. No matter what they do to us, they've always got an excuse. Either they're misunderstood, or we started it, or they've got a note from their mommies. At least aliens are nice and simple. They're evil, and they want to zap us. Couldn't be simpler. I looked at Sorrel. He didn't look evil, just pathetic. He was slumped against the pillar, his head lolling at an awkward angle. Hey, Zarl, you want some water? Silly question to ask a fish, I thought. Zarl nodded eagerly. I pushed the bottle between Zarl's lips, and he tilted his head back, gurgling greedily as the bottle emptied. You're going to an awful lot of trouble to be with her, I said gently. You must care for your wife very much. Zal was staring straight at me now, almost with surprise. Yes, I do. The times we had were so precious. It was so painful to hear of her death. Now, there is a chance to be with her again once more. I know that feeling. My father left me before I was ready to say goodbye. I haven't thought about asking the doctor to take me back to see him once more. The moment I lost her was like dying myself. Now, to hear she is alive in some form, but on a world apart, I have to be with her. Do you understand? Sure, I, I do. But, Sarl, there's plenty more fish in the sea. I can't believe I said that. Nicely put, little Perry. Tact. I like it. Be quiet. Me and Zarl are talking here. I think maybe you two should get a room. Why don't you leave us alone? Your wish is my command. I'm off to powder my nose. She strode away with cat-like indifference. I know she was me. So why was I so suspicious of myself? I wanted to talk to her more. Find out why things changed so much in the U.S. Find out why I changed. Were we being invaded by aliens all the time now? Was that why I'd become so hard as nails? I waited for her to emerge from the bathroom. She sure was taking a long time to powder that fancy new nose of hers. You must destroy me! Throw me back in the great ocean of life. Sorrel, I know a lot of people say love is when you're willing to lay down your life for someone else, but it's also about letting go. Look, 
I once got dumped by a guy when I was 16, a real creep. And I was really in bits about it. On a scale of one, which is oh dear, to ten, which is I'm going to end it all, this was a seven, which is I'm crying so much there's mucus coming out of my nose. My grandma calls me up out of the blue and tells me to pull myself together. She told me that the older she was, the more people she had to do without. But it wasn't just a bad thing. It's the people you miss who help you make sense of yourself. That's what she used to say. Like she knew that she never loved her first husband and, and loved her mom more than her dad and her brother more than her sister. But most of all, she loved that teddy bear she got from Santa when she was six. It used to talk to me, you know. I still miss that darn teddy bear. What's your point? She forgot about everyone but the teddy bear in the end when she had to wear a diaper and started insisting that she was Marlena Dietrich. So who did she love then, Perry? When she was soiling her chair, wearing mashed potato as earmuffs and saying she wanted to be alone. She sure got her wish. Boy, was she alone stop at the end. Stop it! Just stop it! No memories equals no love? Is that Perry Brown's logic? Why can't Flipper fight to be with his girl? Why should Captain Hatterkey have to live alone with just his memories because of something Grandma pulled out of a fortune cookie? Don't micromanage the alien's life, toots. Throw the fish back in the ocean. Let him do things his own way. You're saying he should kill himself just to test a theory? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying I don't care one way or the other. I'm saying it's easier on everyone if we let him have what he wants. What was that? That's Beretta. She's in trouble. Come on! No, I can't. She'd suddenly slipped out of cocky mode. She clapped her hand to her mouth and her eyes were wide. She'd frozen. The big, swaggering secret agent was gone replaced by a frightened little girl. Okay, Barbarella, you stay here. Perry Mark 1 is here to save the day. I ran down the escalator into darkness and found myself in children's wear. Kids of every color of the rainbow grinned at me from the walls, striking poses in grown-up clothes. I suppose dressing up kids as mini-adults might seem cute to some parents, but they looked just like evil munchkins to me. They spooked me. I'd never dress my kids like that when I had mine. Suddenly, something gripped my shoulder, and I screamed. Damn it. I hope my older self didn't hear that. It was Beretta. Thank God you're here. She lisped. I came back here to find you, and I got so freaked out in the darkness. I thought I saw one of them piscons coming at me, but it was just my reflection in the changing room mirror. Come on, I said calmly. You've just had a shock. Don't worry, you're among friends. My, um, um, mom's just up on the next level. Is Zarl there, too? She sobbed. <sighs> My husband. I must go to him at once. She rushed past me and launched herself up the escalator. So you've adjusted to life as a fish, then? I was astonished. That was quick. He didn't seem that happy about it before. Oh, Paris explained everything to me. She gave me a big, twisted smile. My whole life makes perfect sense to me now. I finally realized who I am deep inside. Not a girl who grew up in a trailer park in Tennessee, but an exotic fish queen from the seventh galaxy. I didn't think the phrase fish queen was mentioned anywhere. Just fish. But that's folks from L.A. always padding their resumes. 
gives them the Nobel Peace Prize and ends up becoming the special Nobel Extra Peace Prize with a side order of love and harmony. The moment Breda got to the top of the escalator, she ran up to Zarl and hugged him fiercely, crushing his head into her bosom. Zarl almost looked uncomfortable with the attention. Zarl! Thank goodness you're safe, honey. I was so worried that something dreadful had happened to you. I rather think that's the idea, snapped my older self. He does want something dreadful to happen to him. Ten minutes later, the doctor appeared breathlessly dashing up the escalator. <laughs> He'd obviously been having fun. I've just been leading the Piscons a merry dance, he beamed. I called out to them that I knew where Zal was, and they chased me up and down several streets. They've definitely taken the bait, if you'll pardon the expression. They should be here soon. Any minute now, Zal will be gone, and he won't be our problem any... The doctor's voice trailed away. He was looking over my shoulder. I turned around and realized why. Zal's gone! There were the handcuffs, lying there in the space where Zal was supposed to be. Beretta was gone, too. My other self came out of hiding. She looked panicked. Thank God you're here, Doctor. Zal just broke loose. He took my friend with him. I was stunned. He must have forced the handcuffs. No, that's impossible. The doctor picked them up. These have been deactivated. Now, there are only two people who could have released those handcuffs. Only two people who knew that combination. Me or you. I was indignant. Well, I didn't release them, did I? Didn't you? I glared at him. Of course I didn't. Didn't you? He said again. This time he was looking at my older self. You did, though, didn't you? You released Zal. She glared at him with impotent fury. She'd been found out. But, but, but how? I stammered. It's quite simple, he pointed at me. I told you the combination. And you, he pointed at her, remembered it. Not hard when it happens to be your mother's wedding anniversary. Everything suddenly made sense. That's why you made such a big issue about me remembering the combination. You set a trap for me, us, her. The doctor turned back to her. A shadow fell across him and he looked quite sinister. Why? He said simply. They stared at each other. There was a moment of silence which grew large and threatening. Then the doctor broke off his gaze. I haven't got time for this, he sighed wearily. I have to find Zal. He stormed out, leaving me alone with myself. Why did you let him go? I have my reasons. I was so angry with myself. There was nothing else for it. I gave her the look. She saw the look. You're doing the look. I know I'm doing the look. Don't do the look. I'm doing the look. It won't work on me. I invented that look. Fine. I'm glad. Stop doing the look. No. Okay, fine. Stop it. Then answer me. I deserve that much at least. It's policy, okay? Zarl is on our planet, therefore he's part of our jurisdiction. I'm not going to let a bunch of trigger-happy guppies make this bust. He's mine. And if the doctor won't deal with him, I'm going to take him down. Okay, smartass. If you want to take him down, let's go get him. We charged out into the street after the doctor. As we caught up with him, all three of us were suddenly surrounded by piscons. 
The doctor done a good job leading them to us. You will come with us. You will answer our questions. You will be transported aboard our ship. Don't struggle, yelled the doctor. It's an anti-gravity beam. They're gonna take us to their ship. What should we do? How the hell should I know? You're the secret agent. You must have a plan for this sort of thing. I don't know. I deal with alien insurgents. I don't do alien abductions. That's a different department. And then, just as suddenly, we were falling. And we landed back on the sidewalk. We'd barely had time to get to our feet before a huge torpedo-shaped spaceship erupted out of the sea, gouging a hole in the ocean behind it. It rose slowly up and vanished into the sky, prompting oohs and ahs from the tourists, who took it to be some kind of show put on specially for them. Not as weird as it seems. I've seen Japanese tourists get mugged at knife point and applaud the mugger as he runs away. They've gone. They were all, we must find Zarl a moment ago, and now they've just given up like it doesn't matter. Yeah, what the hell happened there? You tell me, Barbarella, you're the expert. Well, that's when you've got a race of super-evolved fish. They've all got a collective memory of five seconds. Be serious. I am serious. There's no time to argue, the doctor said. Where can he be? My other self spoke. When we got taken up in the air by that force beam, I looked down and I thought I saw him. He's by the pier. She ran off and we followed. Sure enough, Zarl was waddling along the pier, clutching something in his fin which looked like a grenade. The doctor sprinted ahead. I was left to run along behind, as usual. The tourists were still enjoying the show. They cheered Zarl and booed the doctor as each went past. Zarl reached the end of the pier and slowly turned, holding the device above his head. I could hear his gurgly voice on the wind. I couldn't believe it. The doctor was actually reaching into his coat pocket, bringing out the alien gun. After all he'd said, was he in cahoots with my other self? Did they plan this all along? I put on a spurt and joined the other Perry by his side. What are you doing? I gasped. Is this what you want? The doctor shouted at Zarl. You want me to destroy you? He raised the gun, aimed it. The universe hid behind the couch and watched, wondering what was going to happen. Then the doctor smiled. Well, I can't. It's not in my nature, and I don't think it's in yours either. Zarl was dumbstruck. The grenade was lowered slightly, but he showed no sign of releasing it. The doctor pointed his gun, but made no effort to put his hand on the trigger. Well, isn't this pleasant, breathed the doctor. This looks like a... what is it called? A, a Mexican, Mexican standoff. Thank you, ladies. A Mexican standoff. So, as we don't seem to be going anywhere in the foreseeable future, why don't we all try to talk it through? We didn't get a chance to talk it through. Because my other self chose her moment. She knocked the gun out of the doctor's hand. Maybe it was because we were the same person, but I knew what she was going to do. She barely touched it before I punched it out of her hands. I held the gun to my chest. She advanced on me menacingly. Give me the gun, Perry. I can't do that. He's a threat to this planet. The doctor's right. 
He's not going to use the grenade. He's a clear and present danger to my planet. He's got to be neutralized. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Was this person really me? Were those my words? For a moment, my grip on the gun slackened, and she made a grab for it. There was a tussle, and the gun bounced over our heads like a basketball, and then dropped over the side of the pier. Her squelch as it landed in the mud. She was already running down the length of the pier, and I sprinted after her. We both slid into the bank, skidding and pushing each other in a mad scramble, slowly turning into mud monsters. I managed to see the gun first, and I could just reach it. But she went for the man, not the ball. She kicked me in the face. I lay there, stunned. Okay, girl, I thought. Two can fight dirty, and I'm younger and faster. As she turned away, I grabbed her beautiful black hair and yanked it back. She screamed, probably thinking of the expensive salon bill she'd need to put it right. I had a clear view of the gun now, and I waded out to it. But my head suddenly found itself submerged in slime. I'd been brought to the ground by a football tackle Davy would have been proud of. I looked up, wiping goo from my eyes, only to see her racing back to the pier with the gun in her hand. I had grabbed something in the struggle, but but it wasn't the gun. It was a very expensive wallet, with my name stitched into the lining. I put it in my pocket, squelched onto the beach, and wearily gave chase. I was fifty yards behind her, and that's when I saw it all. She was on the pier. She aimed the gun and fired at Zal, <laughs> who, with a piercing howl, was gone, vaporized in a bright orange glow. But Beretta had turned up again and had been standing beside him, and was caught in the blast. It was all over in less than a second. She shot them. She shot them both. She shot a peaceful alien and an innocent bystander in cold blood. She shot them both and didn't even blink. I don't know what I said to her, but it must have been something like. Why? Because there wasn't much else in my head at that moment. She looked at me as if I was a hundred miles away. She said something about friendly fire and civilian casualties. I don't remember much else. In the hours that followed, I helped the doctor dismantle Zarl's equipment and take it to the TARDIS. Sometimes I thought I saw her watching us from the distance, probably hungry to confiscate all that alien technology. I also had a chance to look at the wallet. What I found made me sick to my stomach. A lot of things finally made sense to me. We were at the door of the TARDIS, ready to go, when she appeared. Hey, the doctor quickly stepped inside, tactfully leaving us alone. I've got nothing to say to you. Look, I had to do it. What are you? What have I become? I told you who I am. No, you didn't. You told me a story. You lied to me. You dropped this under the pier. I threw the wallet at her. She caught it and looked at it dumbly. And she looked up at me. Her eyes were afraid. Where are the photos of the children? 
Where are my children? She muttered some bull about security, but I was ready for that. What? I spat. You can have credit cards in your name, but no photos? <laughs> no photos of your kids? You lied to me. She gave up. Okay. Yeah, I, I did lie. There are no kids. But the doctor told me to. The web of time and all that. I can't tell you how I got to this point in my life. Oh, I can make a pretty shrewd guess how you got to this point in your life. You didn't stay with Davy. You left him and you came here so that you could have a career as a big action hero blowing away innocent women. You denied me children. The one thing I wanted in life more than anything. You came here to the beach and you rotted inside like a... Like a dead fish! It's not like that! You're wrong! Trust I me! I don't believe you! I don't believe anything you say! I'm not gonna make the mistakes you made! I'm gonna go back to Davy when I finish traveling in the TARDIS and carve out a proper life for myself! I'll stop running and I'll stop lying to myself! There was a hard glare from her and I held her gaze defiantly. I walked to the TARDIS, opened the door, and stood at the entrance, looking her up and down. She looked very old and very small. Like this possible future was a tiny, insignificant dot in the distance. A bit of grit in my eye, which I could blink away. Goodbye, Perry, I said. I'd say au revoir, but I don't think we'll meet again. She was shouting something about me running away, Run away. more abuse, I guess. But I didn't hear it. The doors were already closing on my past and my future. The doctor was at the controls, like he always was. We didn't speak for a long while. I'm sorry, I said at last. You have nothing to be sorry about, muttered the doctor. But that was me, I said. I betrayed you. That was a different you, he said simply. Trust me, I do understand. She's not me. She can't be. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I'm not going to turn out like her. The doctor smiled weakly. I'm sure you won't. Good luck. Then he changed the subject. He always did when he didn't believe what he was saying. I always envied you humans that ability. To learn, to evolve, to create a lifelong identity that stays with you and grows with you. I have no way of telling how I'm going to turn out. Confidentially, Perry, I live in constant dread of meeting my future self. Doctor, I sighed, I have no idea what you're talking about, as usual. The doctor flicked a switch and a talking octopus appeared in front of us trying to sell us garden furniture. I'll explain later. Perhaps. Hopefully I'll never need to. I let the matter drop. Couldn't help but feel that he was looking at me slightly differently. As we spun towards the planet Andrazani Minor, I wondered if our relationship would ever be the same again.
everybody runs away. I did. Hi, I'm Dr. Purpa Gilliam Brown. I'm 40 several years old, and I'm currently resting between my third and fourth marriage and my 91st and 92nd diet. I've been around the block a few times. <laughs> Scrub that. Been round it so many times the block's taken out a restraining order. Yeah, you heard me. I'm a doctor. A real one. I am one of the few relationship counselors who can point to their doctorate on the wall and say, yep, that's me. Of course, I don't put it on my wall because my patients will be able to see I'm a doctor of botany. Not even Los Angeles has managed to produce a relationship counselor for plants. But God help me, I'm sure they're working on it. I'm sitting in a studio. I have my name behind me in electric glowing 12-foot letters, just in case the audience are too dense to remember who I am. And believe me, that's probably a 50-50 chance. Opposite me is a weather girl from way down the digital dial. And the pile of steroids slouched miserably beside her is her long-suffering boyfriend. Without the helmet and the protective padding, he looks small and scared. The weather girl is talking. She's been talking for 20 minutes now in a tiny, yappy dog voice. And I mean, like, he never buys me presents. He just doesn't. I brought you the chihuahua you wanted, he whimpers. Oh, the chihuahua, he says. He brings that up now, huh? He brings up the chihuahua like I wanted a chihuahua like that. I see a tiny crack in her monologue and leap in. Tell me about the chihuahua, I say, in my really gentle voice I use for my Cure Your Neurosis While You Sleep CDs. It was the wrong color. It was yellow. He wanted a pink one. I don't think they have pink chihuahuas, I say. She gives me a look like I'm the stupid one and says, They did in the movie. And with that line, she creates TV gold. I do my look. The famous one with the mouth twitch and the eyebrow because I know it's the look that will be played on YouTube several gazillion times. This is my cable show. We get celebrity couples on to discuss their relationship worries. If we solve their marital problems, we win. If we don't, and they tear each other to pieces on air, we still win. We not only give them the rope to hang themselves, we provide the scaffolding, little black hood, and their own diamond-encrusted handle so they can open the trap door. It's the highest-rated show on cable for its time slot. And we've got the Nielsens to prove it. We've won the 8 p.m. 100% in the over 55 demographic, and 90% in the key 25 to 54 dem. In your face, Dr. Phil. Worried your girl just married you for a speaking part in your last movie? Talk to Dr. Perpagillian Brown. Worried your man is just with you to convince the media he's hetero? <laughs> Come on my couch. All worries discussed in confidence in front of a studio audience. I am queen of worries. Hence the name of my show. Yep, I have a weakness for bad puns. Sorry about that. I'm looking at the audience, and I can see someone in the third row with a blonde perm dressed in a horrible colored coat, yellow trousers, waistcoat, and a spotted neckerchief. It couldn't be. Could it? I look again, squinting through the TV lights. No, it wasn't my Aunt Mona. 
It did look a lot like my aunt, who lives in a trailer park in Michigan with the 8,000 gollywogs she gets imported from England. But no, this was just some fruitcake guy dressed for a bet and trying to get on television. He seems to want to catch my attention. He's waving a hanky like a damsel in distress. It, it seems urgent. I wait until the ad break and get security to throw him out. It's later, after the show, and I'm doing brunch with my best friend and show producer, Beretta. We're in our usual place, the coffee shop themed after some character on an old British sitcom on PBS. His gappy grin is all over the walls. I reach in my bag and pull out my hip flask. You ever see an old Western movie where the hero comes into the cantina and everybody goes quiet? <laughs> of course you have. Immediately, one of the waiters makes a beeline for me and then, realizing who I am, veers off to the left just before impact like an aborted heat-seeking missile. You really shouldn't do that, says Beretta. It's not big and it's not clever. Listen, Beretta, I snap. In this town, anybody can do and be almost anything, so where's the fun in being a celebrity anymore? At least when I do this, they notice me. Yeah, but putting cola in your coffee. I'm between diets, I told you. That's an aortic aneurysm in a paper cup. You might as well drink neat amyl nitrate. I like the flavor, I snap. Suit yourself. That's a lot of caffeine. That's just putting poisons inside your body. So says Beretta, the woman who got on a plane once and half her body exploded. You're thinking, Beretta. That's an interesting name. It's actually short for Carberetta. Her mom wanted to give her an Italian name. And Daddy wanted to call her Cadillac after the car in which she was conceived. He compromised, and Carberetta is what it says on her birth certificate. Beretta's family is so white trash. Hack an arm off and they bleed styrofoam. Beretta's not good with consonants. That's because she's had a lot of work done, even by L.A. standards. She's got huge lips like scatter cushions and a permanent surprised expression as if to say, What the hell happened to my face? They say a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. To see Beretta pedaling away in the gym, you'd assume that the fish decided it needed the bicycle after all. So, we're sitting there, me with my take a soya latte, Mr. Jones, and she with her grace and Flavia, and I catch a glimpse of the guy in the crazy coat. He's followed me here. I slip my hand inside my bag and caress my favorite can of mace, the one that's lemon-scented. Hey, says Beretta. Isn't that your Aunt Mona? No, I sigh. Just another crazy. The guy takes the fact that we're staring at him in disgust as a signal to come and talk to us. Well, he is a man. <clears throat> Hello, Perry. Well, anyway, Beretta, I think we ought to be getting back. I'm exfoliating it, too. Perry, I need to talk to you on a matter of great urgency. The entire world could be in danger. Mister, do you have any idea how many people say exactly that to me every day? I'm supposed to know you? You don't recognize me? Of course I do. You're the guy who got thrown out of my studio, and the guy who's going to get thrown out of my favorite coffee shop. Perry, I'm the doctor. Not my doctor, Buster. My doctor spends half a year in Honolulu, 
Usually taking the money, he charges me in two huge suitcases. What, you don't remember Sill? The Tractators? The Borad? The Ice Warriors? Well, surely you must remember Davros. The TARDIS. You must remember the TARDIS. Now that gets me. Sure, I remember the TARDIS. He studies my face carefully. So you do remember? I remember a guy called the Doctor. Blonde, straight hair, really cute. That's him. I am he. I said really cute. I am him, I assure you. Look, I can show you the TARDIS. Well, that will convince you, surely. He sees my hesitation. Good, that's settled. I've landed on the beach. That away. Don't keep me waiting. The universe is at stake. He grabs a bagel from our table, stuffs it in his pocket, and winks at me. Nice nose, by the way. I've had several new ones myself. And he leaves. Who was that supposed to be? Asks Beretta. I tell her who that was supposed to be. Beretta frowns. So this guy turns up and says he's actually the same guy you met 25 years ago, but he's got a completely different face? Yep, I say. And you believe him? I think about it. Yeah, I think I do. Let's face it, girl, this is L.A. Who doesn't end up with a completely different face eventually? Beretta pats her gigantic lips self-consciously and drinks her coffee. I leave Beretta and walk along the beach. Sure enough, there's an old blue box parked near the Coast Guard's hut. I push open the door and there he is. Standing by the controls and stroking his lapels like some Dickens character. Yeah, I was starting to believe this was the doctor all right. But the question had to be asked. Okay, why do you look so different? You really don't know. I wouldn't ask if I did. It's called regeneration, Perry. You witnessed it yourself. At the point of ultimate crisis, I have the ability to renew myself and start all over again. Like Madonna? Well, it's a little more drastic than that. My body and personality change completely. I become a completely different person. Like Madonna. Fine. So, what do you remember about this place? He flings his arms wide, indicating the inside of the TARDIS. Nothing much has changed. Big white walls like hospital, but clean. I wander around it, allowing the events of 25 years ago to wash over me. I remember meeting this guy, the doctor, in Lanzarote. I remember deserts, a robot with an identity crisis, some religious freaks, and an insane guy with a beard. Pretty much your average day on CNN. And what happened? Well... The master got fried, we left Turlo behind with his brother, and... Uh, and? And that's it. That's it? You took me back to Lanzarote. I finished my holiday and went to college. What else is there? Aha. I see. Aha. You see what? Oh, uh, this is difficult to explain. You shouldn't be here in L.A. My analyst says that. By all the laws of the universe, you shouldn't exist. She says that too. You travelled with me in the TARDIS. We had many adventures together and then we got... separated. What's that supposed to mean? I, I, I can't tell you. Suffice to say that when we parted, you 
didn't end up on 20th century Earth. It's obvious that I would have to torture him to get information. But as the world knows, America doesn't torture. So I resort to my own technique, giving him my special look with the eyebrow and the mouth. The look which, if they found out about it, would get banned by the UN. Don't look at me like that. There's a thing called the web of time. I have to be careful. Well, what can you tell me? Since my regeneration, my memory's not what it was. The details are hazy, but I remember there was an adventure that you and I had here in 2009. During that incident, we met you as you are now, and you helped me defeat Zal. After your younger self stopped travelling with me, I remembered this adventure, and I've decided to investigate. Something happened here, Perry. Something that gave you two futures. So when's this adventure supposed to happen? Any moment now. Outside there, just a few hundred meters away, you and I are landing. And preparing to do battle with the evil Zal. So what do you propose we do? Go and meet the other doctor? Too risky. That could create all sorts of unpleasant anomalies. I think we should pay a quiet and subtle visit to this mysterious Zal and see what he has to say, don't you? If I remember rightly, our last encounter with him was near Santa Monica Pier. Perhaps that's a good place to start. We emerge from the TARDIS and walk along the beach. Sure enough, there's a huge fish in a spacesuit, standing there on the pier, taking readings. He waddles to the edge and looks down at the waters below. The doctor races forward, his neckerchief flapping in the wind. Zarl! Quietly and subtly bellows at the top of his lungs. Zarl turns at the noise, trips over his fins, and pitches off the pier with a gurgling scream. Sickening crunch and a distant splash as he hits the water. The doctor stops, hands clasped to his head in horrified anguish. We find Zarl a half hour later. The tide has washed up his body on the beach. He is quite dead. Oh no, this is bad. This is very bad. Uh, what are we going to do now? Well, if we can get enough fries and breadcrumbs, we can open a restaurant on the bay. You're not helping, Perry. This is the Piscon Paradox, don't you see? Funnily enough, I don't. Well, I've actually defeated Zal by accident. I got that. That was way too easy. Let's go for a coffee. My treat. Perry, you don't understand. I defeated him before my earlier self had a chance to defeat him. Well, I remember myself defeating Zal in my last body. How can I defeat him when I've already done it? Well... Why don't you just go back in time and stop yourself shouting Zarl at him? What? Are you mad? I can't go back in time to stop myself interfering with my own past, because that would mean I'd be interfering with my own past to stop myself interfering with my own past! Then where would we be? Here's another idea. You put me back half an hour in time, so I interfere with my own past. I could tell myself not to follow the weirdo in the stupid coat. We can't leave Zarl lying there stinking up the bay. Luckily, my Camaro is parked near the coffee shop. We haul Zal into the trunk. We can wait till nightfall, then throw it out to sea. There's going to be an awful odor emanating from that boot very soon. No problem. The only other person who uses my car is Beretta. She'll be the last person to notice. 
Her sense of smell got destroyed after a botched submucosal resection, which she'd had done to correct a really botched septoplasty, which she needed after a disastrous rhinoplasty. Thank God I never went to North Korea to get mine done. The doctor has already forgotten about the dead fish. He has things on his mind. He walks off muttering to himself about there being only one possible way to sort out the web of time. Zarl, or what's supposed to be Zarl, sits in the TARDIS, lolling drunkenly to one side. Uh, how do I look? You look like a man in a big, sweaty monster suit. The doctor looks pleased at this notion. Well, that's wonderful. Just the effect that's needed. Most life-bearing planets have a lower gravity than Earth. Any alien visiting this planet would most likely look like a man in a big, sweaty monster suit. Including the zipper going up the back? Exactly the place where I'd put a universal translator. No, my earlier self won't suspect a thing. I have to admit, the doctor does bear a resemblance to Zorl. The plastic eyes are glassy and unfocused, and the huge mouth flaps open. The doctor has placed black cheesecloth inside the creature's throat, so you can barely see his eyes peeping out. Just a moment. I'll try the ring modulator. How's that? Does that sound like a piscon? I don't know what a piscon sounds like. You sound like a frog in a blender, if that helps. No. How about that? Like three frogs in a blender. How about this? Like Stephen Hawking gargling with jello. Perfect. So, here's the plan. I, as the evil Zal, will confront my earlier self. He will defeat me with the flair and genius, which is my hallmark, and he will carry on in his travels number wiser, where he will eventually have the good fortune to turn into me. <laughs> now, you stay here. He lumbers off, and after about 13 seconds, I follow him. I'm very conscious I might meet up with my earlier self, and I keep my eyes spinning to every corner of Santa Monica. I think I even see her at one point, but I'm sure my mind is playing tricks. The girl I see looks far too young to be me. So we're inside a department store, and I hide behind a deserted checkout and watch Zarl waddle towards the doctor, the cricket guy. He's just as cute as I remember him, like David Cassidy's nerdy brother. Same gentle smile, same gentle hair. Just like Davy. The memory of Davy hits me like a foot in the stomach and I go dizzy for a second. So, Doctor, we meet again, Time Lord. I don't think we've met before, actually, says the Doctor. Zorl looks uneasy. It is just a figure of speech. We, Pistons, believe in the great ocean of life. All of us have met before at some point. Very poetic, says the other doctor. I was expecting you, doctor. You are someone like you. A hero to stop the progress of Piscon kind. The only way you can stop me is to defeat me utterly. I'm sure it won't come to that, the other doctor says amiably. We certainly don't have to fight. We can work something out between ourselves. If Zarl was able to blink, he would have flicked his eyes in astonishment. What? You want water. 
There are plenty of ice comets in the galaxy. I can get the TARDIS to tow a few to Pisca. You'd be a national hero. I do not need your help, Time Lord. I will take this water by force. The doctor considers this. Fine. You can take the water and I can replace it with water from a different part of space. I can engineer a simultaneous rematerialization. Zarl is getting increasingly edgy. I can tell that the other doctor's incredible capacity for reasonableness is really getting to him. No, I do not need your help. For the last time, I am Zarl, and I will take what I want from this world. Well, absolutely. You do what you have to do, and I'll quietly clean up after you, said the other doctor. Don't mind me. You won't even know I'm here. Zarl finally snaps. He lunges for the doctor and grabs his lapels. More out of frustration than as a plan to make the doctor fight with him. The two doctors grapple with each other in a half-hearted way, rolling round and entangling themselves in a pile of coat hangers. Then I see my young self rush in. It was the girl I saw. My God, what was I wearing? Heels with cut-off shorts? With a leotard? I look like I've been dressed by a committee formed on an internet chat room. The two doctors tumble over and over, and I, that is the younger me, dive into the middle of it. I get thrown into a corner and get what I bet is a prize bruise on my butt. Then Zarl offers to help her up. I can't believe how dumb he is. Suddenly he's acting like Sir Walter Raleigh. Fortunately, he recovers himself just in time, waves his fin in evil defiance, and charges off out of there. I'm just about to follow when I notice a face peering down at me. My face, scrubbed clear of cares and years. I guess you could call it a moment of self-discovery. I say, "Hi." Then I dust myself down and tell her to meet me at the coffee bar. I can't help myself. I just have to meet her. She doesn't say anything intelligible, so I guess she'll do as I say. I walk out of there with my head held high and my tiny scraps of dignity intact, like a discovered mistress walking out of a bedroom, clutching her clothes in her arms. I go back to the TARDIS. The doctor is slumped over the control panel like a beached whale. I get him a chair from another room, and he sinks into it, wheezing and groaning inside his suit. Oh. oh, I don't know how people can wear these things. My feet are pooled in sweat. I can barely see where I'm going. The doctor's fins bat impotently at the air, trying and failing to remove his head. Oh, pull off my head so I can have a drink of water. It'll take too long. Uh. You'll have to drink through your left gill. I'll get you a straw and a bottle. The doctor groans. I bring him a glass with a straw, and he slurps from my hand greedily. Then he sighs. Oh, he won't even try to defeat me. He even offers to clean up after me. I'm dressed as a fish, and I'm fighting an even wetter fish. What you need is some kind of hook. You're trying to be funny. I've got an idea. I'm going to meet up with the other doctor and the other Perry and spin them a story. Perry, I absolutely forbid it. I've told you about the web of time. If we interfere, the results could be disastrous. Look, Doctor, think of it this way: perhaps my involvement is meant to be. Perhaps that's why I'm here. 
Perhaps my idea is exactly the thing that sets time along its proper course. The doctor rubs his head with his fin thoughtfully. Uh, all right. Well, you can tell me your plan, I suppose. Okay. My thinking is, your other self is too nice to defeat Zarl, the evil guy. So we make Zarl into a different character. Perhaps Zarl becomes a character who wants to die. And we convince the other doctor it would be a kindness to kill him. Yes, I have come across the odd villain who changes his plans at the drop of a claw. That is certainly a precedent. But don't you see? He won't have changed his plans at all. He's acting out the big villain role so the doctor can kill him. Here's a thought. Perhaps Zarl has some kind of limiter in his skull so that he can only be killed by an external act. He can't jump off a building or go to Switzerland because there's a thing in his brain which stops him doing it. Well, it all seems plausible, Perry. Well, he might go for it. Well, there's one snag. If we persuade him to kill me, won't I end up dead as a result? Well, surely you can come up with something clever to make him think he's killed you. Oh, come up with something? Well, how on earth can I come up with something just like that? Ah. Wait a moment. Pull my fins off, please. I pull his fins off, and he waddles away excitedly into the bowels of the TARDIS. Half hour later, he's back, holding a squat green gun. There. I've taken this Megarian blaster and replaced its focusing generator with an old time ring. If anyone fires this at me, I will instantly get transported safely back into the heart of the TARDIS. Simplicity itself. He rubs his hands together mischievously. Well, off you trot then, Perry. Go and start plotting my assassination. It's ironic, I think. You try to sell someone your idea. You push it, and you try to enthuse people about it. And it's only the second that you actually sell it that you start to have second thoughts about it. So... Here I am, back in Are You Being Served, with the other Perry. I flashed her my blockbuster membership card and told her I'm from the government. Unfortunately, my plan to introduce myself as a super-secret agent who combats aliens has been derailed slightly by my younger self asking about her future. About Davy. Which I should have expected, really. And then she goes and asks the biggie. So, we still together? How about kids? I'd forgotten how much I wanted children. Of course I'd forgotten. I made myself forget. The wound had finally scabbed over after being picked and scraped and prodded over the years. And now this little popsy had taken a wax strip, placed it in a very private place, and ripped it off. Thankfully, the waitress interrupts us, and I have time to think. My brain scrambles for a story, and I tell her about three wonderful, talented children... But as the song goes, here comes the twist. They don't exist. My younger self seems satisfied with my story, and I rush to the bathroom to cry. I set off the hand dry so no one hears me coughing up big, ugly sobs in my cubicle. Then there's a big crash from outside. I wipe my nose on the hand towel and come out. There's a seven-foot-tall fish in the middle of the coffee shop. Wow, I think. The doctor's really getting the hang of this being an alien monster act. 
There's an arrogance in the way he struts that he really wasn't getting before. I decide to put on a good show, play up the brave secret agent act. So I fire out some smart aleck comment to him, and the Piscon advances on me with convincing menace. Where is Saul? It's about this point in my story that I realize why he's so convincing. It's not the doctor in a monster costume. It's a monster in a spacesuit. And it doesn't look very happy at being called Flipper. Hey, I'm Zarl. Come and get me. Over the other side of the shop, my younger self is waving a plastic box full of tuner and luring the Piscon away. How clever. How heroic. How stupid. She's pursued out of the shop by the angry fish. I wonder what would happen if my younger self got killed. I'd probably end up existing in theory, but not existing at all. Like a Hollywood agent. I run out into the street and see Beretta, who's just unlocking my car. I climb in shotgun, breathlessly pointing at the retreating Piscon to make a stupid joke. As I say, I have a weakness for bad puns. I'm so sorry. Follow that carp! Beretta doesn't argue. That's why she's my best friend. We speed off after the fish and catch up with them on Buena Vista Avenue. The Piscon is joined by three others, and they're surrounding my younger self with some glowing fishnets. Beretta doesn't even blink. Well, she can't blink. Not without concentrating real hard. She puts her Gucci's flat on the floor and aims straight for Piscons. One flies up in the air and creates an instant sushi on the pavement. The other fries itself on its own fishing net. We screech to a halt near my young version. Wow, that was some pretty cool driving, sister. Beretta gives a creepy grin. Don't know why you're so surprised. You know what my folks are like. You're looking at the girl who thought the Dukes of Hazard was a documentary. There are still two Piscons standing, and their devices are pointing at us. I suddenly remember we've hidden Zarl's body in the trunk, and it's sending the Piscons detector ones crazy, squealing like dying pigs. I wind down the window and scream at my younger self to get in the damn car. And as soon as we pull her cute little tush in the back seat, we roar off along the beach. Beretta checks out my younger self in the rearview mirror and gasps. Who's the girl? She looks just like you. Good question. I consider telling Beretta she's my sister, but that won't work. She knows my family too well. I think about Beretta, about how she spent her whole life working for daytime TV. I formulate a story that she's able to swallow. She's my long-lost daughter, Perry Jr., I had her when I was working as a showgirl in Vegas and gave her away to a family of Mormons to raise as their own. My younger self joins in. Yeah, I discovered she was my mom last month. I hitchhiked across 12 states to find her. I spent three days trapped in a Cadillac with a lapsed Orthodox Jew with a plastic Jesus on his dashboard. Long lost daughter. Okay, that makes sense, she says. Good old Beretta. We screech to a halt and the girl hops out, leaving Beretta and me alone. But Perry, says Beretta, I thought you didn't have kids. Another good question. I feel my face grow hot and my eyes prickle. You know how it goes, Brett. I blanked it out of my mind. I only remembered her during that hypnotherapy session I had with that shaman in Mexico. The one that came from Massachusetts. We go into the dead department store, and I feed the doctor my brilliant story about the Piscons, about their need for death and to be reincarnated as humans, and the need to help Zarl on his way. Then I go a bit stupid. 
and call Beretta a reincarnated alien who uses surgery to look like a giant fish. She runs out in tears. Have you noticed how my mouth gets me into trouble? I want to go after her, but I figure that that won't help my image as a tough alien buster. After I finish explaining my made-up story and hand the doctor the fake gun, he places an arm on my shoulder and steers me into a changing room. I think it's time we had a little chat, he says in that chirpy English way of his. Boy, he's cute. Shame about the age difference. If only he was ten years younger, I so would. So, who did you say you were with again? He says. I gave an uncertain grin. The government, CIA, you know, guys in suits, men in grey. Yes, but which department exactly? Perry said you'd mentioned it, but I just wanted to make sure. I get a sinking feeling. I always go too far when I spin a story, but it's too late now. I repeat the name I gave her. Really? You're with them? The doctor grins. I've always thought they were a splendid organization. Went off the boil after David Duchovny left, but still very watchable. Damn it! Serves me right for being too clever. Oh, you know I'm lying. The doctor smiles. Of course. You're going to be mad at me, aren't you? The doctor raises his eyebrow. On the contrary, I'm going to congratulate you. Really? Oh, yes, he says. It's vitally important that my Perry, if I can use such a crass possessive pronoun, my Perry should not have knowledge of her own future. There's a thing called the web of time, which shouldn't really be unravelled. Otherwise, well, it would be very bad indeed. As you've met yourself, some damage may have already been done. But I commend you for creating a believable cover story so you don't have to reveal your personal history to her. Think nothing of it, I say. Well done, you, he says, patting me absently on the back. So, who'd you really work for? Unit? Area 51? No, I won't pry. I'm just glad you're here. I've never heard of this Piscon reincarnation phenomenon, but it sounds absolutely fascinating. So, he swallowed the story. Am I good or am I good? Speaking of swallowing stories, I go outside, but Beretta's gone. My car, too. What have I done? I better find her and quick before she runs away to join an aquarium. I look round and see Zarl. There he is, standing on a street corner, looking like he's not going to care in the world. What is he thinking? The idiot could be seen. Then he is seen. The other Piscons are here. They point to the doctor. They advance and surround him, and, and he starts to panic, trying to get his fish head off, trying to explain to them. They throw their nets on him. There's a huge, blinding flash, a sick crackle and a squeal, like a rat falling on a barbecue. And he's down. Smoke billows out of his eyes and his gills. His costume melts. He falls to the ground in a smoky heap.
but it's far, far too late. He's lying on the sidewalk, still twitching. A blackened human hand falls out of the molten wreckage of the fish suit. I can't believe the smell. Poor guy. Oh, go away, will you? I look up. There's the doctor, safe and well, sitting outside a cafe in his fish suit. He's arguing with the owner, who's waving bits of glossy paper at him. I'm confused. Perhaps he survived by changing his face again, and I'll find George Clooney inside the costume. I can only hope. Go on, then. Fire me. See if I care. Hey! I thought you were dead. No, not quite. Very nearly. Just when I want to relax, have a cold drink, stop the steam coming out of my gills, that man insists I should be delivering leaflets for him. Then I notice there are smiley fish on the restaurant sign which bear a spooky resemblance to the doctor. Two other people dressed as fish are waddling along the bay, handing out flyers. I realize what's happened. Doctor, we have to get out of here. Leave me alone. I'm so hot and thirsty. I've ordered some ice water. I do hope they serve fish in this establishment. Doctor, listen to me. Do you see what I did there? <laughs> I said I hope they serve fish in this establishment because I'm dressed as a huge fish. <laughs> That's very good. I must tell my friend Oscar that. Doctor, quit your jabbering. The Piscons are here. They thought that a guy handing out flies was all, and they've zapped him. I point, and at last the doctor sees what I'm getting at. The flyer people have noticed the body. And they're screaming and shouting and, and trying to flag down passing cars. Naturally, as they're dressed as giant fish and holding flyers, no one's stopping. Oh, no. This is appalling. We have to get rid of them. How? Well, how else? We have to prove to them that Saal is dead. We retrieve his body from your car, show it to the Piscons, and they can go home happy. Beretta's got the car. Maybe she's gone back to the studio to work on tomorrow's show. Perhaps we can start there. Good idea. Let's go. You can't walk across town looking like that. If the Piscons see you, they might kill you too. I get behind him and wrestle with the back of the costume, but I can't open it. I'm normally good with zippers, but this one's defeated me. Oh, you've got my skin. Okay, you big crybaby. You don't have to regenerate or anything. I have to get out of here. I'm melting in this coat. You're wearing your coat inside the costume. I like the coat. It's no good. It's stuck. Oh, there's no time for this. We'll just have to get there as fast as we can and hope we're not spotted. We go back to the studio car park. Me stumbling as fast as my Jimmy Choo's will carry me. The doctor loping behind. I get a weird flash of deja vu as I see this monster reflected in car windows running after me. No, not quite deja vu. More like... You know, a feeling of a suppressed memory. Something that's definitely happened to me, but I, I can't recall it, no matter how much I try. We get to the car and it's occupied. Beretta's sitting in the passenger side, staring at herself in the windscreen mirror in disgust. The car is locked, and I hammer on the window and mime opening the door. No, don't speak to me. She whimpers. I'm a reincarnated alien. <laughs> I've been trying to look like a guppy my whole adult life. I've got a fish fulfillment complex. This was going to take a bit of fast talking. 
Greta, what are you talking about? I say with injured innocence. Didn't you get the email? Her tear-sodden face twitches in confusion. You didn't, did you? The email about the alien stunt. We're doing celebrity stitch-up this week. You remember the cute guy in the cream coat? He's a nutty astronomer who's written a book about little green men. And we're trying to kid him about aliens from another planet. I shake my head theatrically. I can't believe you didn't get the email. The car door clunks open. Seriously? I'm not an alien? Sure. This is a huge number we're doing. I've got a camera hidden in my nostril. And the whole of the department store is wired for sound. I jerk a finger back at the doctor who's standing awkwardly behind me. This is Nico Blair, Detroit's finest alien impersonator. He even makes his own costumes. He does Saturday Night Live every other week. You must have seen him. Bretta's forehead tries to frown as she struggles to untangle this new information. Yeah, I think I have seen you. Were you in a sketch where you come down to take the president back to his own planet? Yes, yes, that was me. <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> oh, thank you very much, my dear. Always available for compliments. Actually, I'm a much underrated performer. I sing opera too, you know. Mercifully, before Big Mouth Billy Bass is able to start singing, two piscons appear. They finally manage to sort out their detection equipment, and they're pointing it at us. They're also pointing guns. Hit the deck! I scream and push the doctor and Beretta around the corner. As great pulses of light hit my car. The bodywork warps and crumples and crackles like popcorn in a microwave. The windows explode in a rainbow shower of glass. The tires bang and the little pine freshener hanging on the mirror erupts like a tree in a forest fire. The car becomes a corpse. Trunk yawning open and the taillights staring at nothing. The Piscons clank to the car, see Zarl's body in the back, and turn awkwardly at each other. Zarl is dead. It is a probability. There was another Zarl just here a moment ago. This is Zarl. There have been errors. We must make sure it must be Zarl. We must analyze the body before we leave. They're still arguing when they, the carcass of Zarl, and the carcass of my Camaro, shimmer and vanish. Beretta looks at me. Her face is a picture, painted by Picasso. Wow, she says. This is one expansive stunt. The studio's never gonna stump up for the cost of this. It's later, and Beretta and Mia back in, are you being served? Beretta sips her menswear macchino. She's still talking about the Piscon attack. That explosion was amazing, she lisps. They blew up your car real good. Who did that? Industrial light and magic? That wasn't my real car, I lie. That was just a dummy. That was an amazing mock-up. And even had your empty Doritos packet stuffed in the ashtray. Hey, you know industrial light and magic, I say. They always sweat the small stuff. I do a big sigh. Well, we have to salvage as much as possible from the day's shoot as we can. Bretta nods like she's pretending it all makes complete sense, like TV producers do. Okay, where do I fit in? Well, you just play up the Bride of Zarl bit. 
Pretend you're glad to see him. Tell him you're glad to be reunited with him as his loving fishwife. Bretta does her nervous habit of patting her lips. And I feel like scum on white toast for feeding her this stuff. But we're in too deep to stop now. The truth would take too long. And there's more than a good chance she'd never believe me. Where's the doctor, you may ask? Well, this is what he said half an hour ago. Of course. I've been approaching this all wrong. I have a foolproof method of engineering my own destruction. I don't attack him. I attack Perry. He's Perry. In all my incarnations, preservation of my companions is my absolute priority. I'm sure my earlier self will instinctively reach for the gun, kill me, and we can call a halt to this farce. As I say, that was a half hour ago and I haven't heard anything. I leave Beretta and go in the store. I immediately sense things haven't gone to plan. I think it's my Zarl tied up in the corner that gives the game away. I screw up my shock and stick it somewhere dark and deep as I concentrate on being the cool secret agent again. I heartily congratulate the doctor and his gal on catching Zarl. The doctor straightens up, dusting off the tails of his cricket coat. I'm going to find these Piscon police and tell them we've captured Zarl. So he's going to hand my Zarl over to the Piscons. This is not looking good. I've got to get him out of here somehow. I don't think that's a good plan. Really? says the doctor coldly. I happen to think it's an excellent plan. I happen to think any plan that averts me taking innocent life is a good plan. Okay, fine. I'd like to stay here and interrogate him, if that's okay. The doctor looks at me warily. Hey, I promise I won't harm him. Don't you watch Fox News? Americans don't torture. The doctor considers this. Perhaps you should both stay here. He turns to his TARDIS Barbie. Make sure nothing happens while I'm gone. TARDIS Barbie pouts like a little six-year-old, but she takes his point. He leaves us behind with Zorro. Inside the Piscon suit, the other doctor is putting on a really good performance. Real Oscar-winning stuff. He seems genuinely sad about losing his love and genuinely excited about being reunited with the fish he thought dead. While he's talking to my younger self about life and death, I make my excuses and leave for the bathroom. I get my phone out and ring Beretta. Hey, Beretta! Hey, Perry! What's happening? The stunt's going really well, but I need you to distract my daughter. Do something to get her out of here. I need to have a word with Nico Blair in private for the rest of the stunt to work. You got it. She hangs up. A minute later, we hear a... Oh! What was that? Oh! That's Beretta. She's in trouble. Come on! She runs down the escalator, bouncing and jiggling as she descends. I pretend to be too scared to follow. Then I head back to Zorro. Perry, thank goodness you're here. Plan didn't go that smoothly, I take He's it. He's going to hand me over to the Piscons. But they are notoriously zealous about how they punish their criminals. Heaven knows what they've got in store for me if they think I'm Zal for even a second. What's Piscon from being hung, drawn, and quartered? You think they're going to fry, poach, and fill at you? Not funny, Perry. Get these cuffs off me. I'll need tools to get you out of there. Oh, no need. They're my temporal cuffs. I know the combination. Just key in 21, 11, 62. Got that? Hey, that's my mom's wedding anniversary. 
How utterly fascinating. Now, would you please release me? Oh, thank heavens. I was getting pins and needles in my fins. We have to get out of here. Correction. I have to get out of here. I'm going to leave my earlier self no option this time. He's going to have to destroy me. What have you got in mind? There's a Sontaran fragmentation grenade back on the TARDIS, which I can render harmless. I'm going to threaten to blow up Los Angeles with it. I'll be on the pier with my finger on the release switch in 20 minutes. You wait here and get those two to the pier any way you can. Someone's coming. Zarl scrambles back to his corner just as my earlier self comes back with Beretta. Beretta's okay. She just got freaked out. She looks suspiciously at me. And then at Zarl slumped in the corner. Don't worry about him, I snapped. I haven't waterboarded him. Not that that would do much to a giant fish. Beretta rushes forward and hugs Zarl and gives him a huge kiss with her huge lips. I can see him wincing inside his suit. A short while later, we hear footsteps, and my younger self immediately jumps up like a puppy with a bladder problem. She runs to greet her doctor, and my doctor takes the opportunity to scramble to his flippers and disappear down the fire escape. Beretta goes too. The doctor and young Perry come back and immediately notice there's a big fish-shaped absence where Zarl's supposed to be. I act all innocent, but nothing gets past the doctor. He does a Sherlock Holmes act with lots of pointing and pacing, and he deduces that I release Zarl. Brilliant. He guesses I had to know the combination because he told the younger me, and I'd remembered it. Brilliant. A brilliant deduction using flawless logic. Completely wrong, of course. But who was I to contradict him? Let him think it. It makes things a lot easier. I try not to think about the expression on my younger self's face when she looks at me. Or the doctor's, for that matter. They're so not into me now. We run out, looking for Zorro. I'm trying to think about how I'm going to get them to the pier and make it look natural. Saying, hey, fancy a visit to the pier aquarium? My treat? Just didn't seem to cut it. Luckily... And I know I'm using the word in the oddest context here. Luckily, we're caught by the Piscom police and thrown high into the air by a force ray. It's lucky, because I don't have to pretend to guess where Zarl is. I can see him, sweating his way to the pier. Even more luckily, the Piscons release us, throwing us back like we're a couple of tiddlers. Then we watch as their spaceship pushes itself out of the ocean and flies off home. They must have finally identified Zarl in the back of my Camaro. Their job was done. The doctor and I race up to the end of the pier, where we see Zarl holding the grenade above his head. The doctor smiles grimly. I take it that's not a cricket ball. If it is, you're not holding it right. It's two fingers up, one finger down. Shalom, doctor. We meet again. Metaphorically and literally this time. I am holding a device that will render this part of the planet a cinder. You will stop me with that gun. What? This thing? The doctor casually pulls it out of his pocket. His voice hardens. Don't be a fool, Zal. This is not the way to do things. You have 20 of your Earth seconds to stop me, or I... 
We'll destroy everything in the vicinity. Watch out, Doctor. He's gonna do it. I'm not so sure. The Doctor smiles at me. Even if he wants to, he can't. Why not? The limiter in his brain, of course. I'd think detonating a grenade above your head would count as suicide, wouldn't you? Damn. Hadn't thought of that. We're stuffed. My younger self joins us. What are you doing? She gasps, looking at the gun in the doctor's hand. The doctor grins at his young psychic and assures her he has no intention of using it. He's called Zarl's Bluff. Oh, this situation's going to go nowhere fast. Zarl is sweating inside his suit. It's only a matter of time before he keels over and the whole plan blows apart. Okay. If you want a job doing, you gotta do it yourself. I knock the gun out of the doctor's hands and catch it. I point it at Zarl, only to have it knocked out of my hand by myself. The younger Perry snatches the gun from off the floor and holds it to her chest, like she's clutching a baby, exactly like she's clutching a baby. Oh, stop thinking stupid thoughts, girl, and get the damn gun! Give me the gun, Perry. I can't do that. He's a threat to this planet. The doctor's right. He's not going to use the grenade. He's a clear and present danger to my planet. He's got to be neutralized. She looks shocked. I take my opportunity, grab for the gun. Before I know it, I have myself in an arm lock. We tussle, and we drop the gun over the side of the pier. It lands in the mud. I run for it, with her in hot pursuit. I see it below a support and make for it. So does she! There's a classic girly fight, shoving and slapping, and she pushes me hard into the mud, ruining my coat. Okay, girly, I think. If we're fighting dirty, so be it. I thrust my heel into her face, and there's a nasty crunch. I wondered how that tooth got broken. She grabs at my hair and pushes me deep into the ground, giving me a makeshift mud pack. I dive for her ankles, yank her backwards, and she too descends into the mud. While she's floundering, I go for the gun, wipe the dirt off it, run back to the pier, and point it at Zarl. I don't quite know what happened or, or how it happened, but I know it was my fault. I should have explained stuff more clearly to Beretta. All the information up front, but no. Had to make up some cute story, didn't I? Story of my life. Beretta suddenly appeared, and she's there on the pier as I come running. She dives in front of Zarl, playing her part to the hilt, yelling, Do not take my piff-con husband. He should not sacrifice himself for me. It was a good performance from Beretta, marred only by the word piscon coming out as piffcon. Maybe I was shaking with nerves. Exertion, a caffeine rusher, all three. But my finger twitched. Light shines from the end of the gun, enveloping the doctor and Beretta in golden energy. They disappear. My younger self is behind me, caked in mud. She's seen what happened. She stares at me, her mouth hanging open. What have you done? She says to herself more than to me. What did I just do? A voice from far away, which I realize is my voice, says, Friendly fire! Civilian casualties! These things happen! I've lost her. It's just like back in the coffee shop. Just like when she went on and on about Davy, and I had no answer for her. None. I had to keep the story going, and somehow the story ended up with me as the villain. I turn away, but there's no respite. Because now I face the doctor standing on the other side of the pier, his arms folded, crushing his celery to his chest. There's profound disappointment on his face.
The next few hours are a blur to me. I can't sneak away to the TARDIS. I can't risk even the slightest chance of raising the Doctor's suspicions. The Doctor is busy collecting Zarl's equipment and methodically disposing of it. As for my younger self, we avoid each other until the last possible moment. They're actually getting into the TARDIS when I approach them. Hey! The Doctor pats his young friend on the shoulder and goes inside, leaving us alone. I've got nothing to say to you. She looks at me with cold eyes. Talk about self-loathing. Look, I had to do it. What are you? What have I become? I told you who I am. No, you didn't. You told me a story. You lied to me. You dropped this under the pier. She unfolds my wallet in her hands. She knows. She knows. This is when she asks why a secret agent has an equity card and a parking pass to Candor Studios. She throws it at me. Where are the photos of the children? Where are my children? I didn't expect that. I... I can't keep them in my wallet. Security. What? You can have credit cards in your name, but no photos? <laughs> no photos of your kids? You lied to me. Okay. Yeah, I, I did lie. There are no kids. But the doctor told me to. The web of time and all that. I can't tell you how I got to this point in my life. Oh, I can make a pretty shrewd guess how you got to this point in your life. You didn't stay with Davy. You left him and you came here so that you could have a career as a big action hero blowing away innocent women. You denied me children. The one thing I wanted in life more than anything. You came here to the beach and you rotted inside like a... like a dead fish! It's not like that! You're wrong! Trust me! I don't believe you! I don't believe anything you say! I'm not gonna make the mistakes you made! I'm gonna go back to Davy when I finish traveling in the TARDIS and carve out a proper life for myself! I'll stop running and I'll stop lying to myself! What can I say? I can't tell her about Davy. About how footballs weren't the only thing he liked to kick. I can't tell her how it felt when his foot went into my stomach during our honeymoon. I can't tell her about the times I ran. About the times he found me. And how he once smeared my nose across my cheek. How every time I look in the mirror I think, that's not my nose. I liked the last one better. I can't tell her about the night I left home and came to L.A. with a suitcase in one hand and what was left of my face in another. How can I tell her that the doctor isn't always there to save you? Sometimes it's the doctor's job to save your life, but also his job to tell you you can't have kids. It's the doctor's job to kill you where you stand and tell you your life's over. That was when my new life started. I became a Samaritan, and then a relationship counselor. I threw myself into helping other people. I was very sincere at first, but like most things in this great country of ours, religion, politics, art, you start doing things because they're right. Then you do them because they make money. Then you do them because they're a habit. Then you do them as an excuse for doing nothing. 
and I can't say any of this to her because of the web of time. To hell with the web of time! This is my life we're talking about here! I'm telling you now, girl, run! Run away! Get in that TARDIS and run as far and as fast as you can! Don't come back home. Davy's not your answer. He's only the answer if the question is, who just threw me down the stairs? Keep on running, or you'll find out what I did. Cute blonde guys have a habit of turning into unstable violent guys real quick. And they can do it right in front of your eyes. But the door has already closed. And the TARDIS is already groaning and fading away. I know how it felt. I join my doctor back in his TARDIS. He's out of his fish costume, grinning jauntily. He doesn't notice how shattered I look. Ah, there you are. I've escorted Beretta back to the studio. She's very impressed with my special effects. Apparently, I'm almost as good as Star Wars. So, that's it. Finally over. The end. He waves a piece of the Piscon outfit at me. Thin. <laughs> Just stop it. Stop with the jokes, okay? Oh. oh I do apologize. Are you aware that I've just performed open-heart extraction on myself? I've just condemned myself to making the same stupid mistakes all over again. And all you're concerned about is your web of time and your damn time paradox. The time paradox? Oh, yes. The Perry paradox. In all the rushing about, we still haven't discovered why you're here when you should be somewhere else. There's a chime. And a large bearded man appears floating in midair, wearing a horrible check shirt, cheap sunglasses, board shorts, and sandals. Oh no! What on earth do you think you're wearing? Just blending in with the natives, says the man. He grins a dazzling grin. I've had my teeth done as well. You like? The doctor does not like. He gives a hard, angry stare. No, it's absolutely yuck. Well, that shirt doesn't go with those shorts. Is there any particular reason why I'm bothered by Time Lords now? Do you have a mouse in a panopticon you can't get rid of? Or are you just lonely? No, Doctor, says the man. I just know how you hate being left out of the picture. I thought you might be interested in why the human girl exists here when you think you left her with an entirely different future. Yes, that might be a worthwhile use of your time. The man clears his throat. <clears throat> During the events of your trial, a certain confusion arose about the fate of the human female. Decisions were made about her which were countermanded and contradicted. In the first instance, she was seen as inconvenient to the plotters. She was a corroborative witness about events that could have derailed their show trial. So there was a policy to engineer her death on Thoris Beta. Well, that was just mischief perpetrated on the Matrix. No, he said solemnly. There was a policy of assassination. She was killed. I was killed? Really dead? Wow. We don't do death in L.A. It was weird to think about anybody's death, let alone my own. 
I always felt there was a part of me that felt dead inside. It made a lot of sense to me. The doctor looks pained at the memory. My death must have really affected him. The man continues. There was a decision by a faction within that corrupt regime that the option was too drastic. I think some of them were just scared you'd come after them and hunt them down. Very wise of them. They adjusted events. They rescued her and let her live out her days as a warrior queen at the side of King Yukarnos. Then after they'd been disposed of, there was another executive order from the incoming president. After reviewing the trial, she decided that being a warrior queen to a galactic warlord was a fate worse than a fate worse than death. This time, the Celestial Intervention Agency followed the standard protocol for humans associated with you. Of course. They wiped her mind, save for her first adventure with me, and put her back where she came from. Like Jamie and Zoe. Exactly. Hence the existence of the human female here. Oh, please, call me Perry. Human female is so formal. Oh, don't start. Sniffs the man. Perry? What kind of a name is that, you Earth people? I don't know why the Doctor cares about any of you. With your silly names and your silly hats and ridiculous cultures. Your single time zones and linear existences. How can you empathize with something so badly conceived? Now, the planet Zorg, on the other hand... Get to the point, if there is one. The man avoids looking at our faces. I'd seen guys do that before they'd admitted to affairs live on TV. It was a very chaotic time on Gallifrey. Perry was taken out of time not once, but several times. Just as when we engineered the meeting of your other selves. The doctor slaps his forehead. Oh. And every botch retrieval created its own separate time stream. Hence no temporal shorting when the Perrys came into contact. He turns to me. Perry, I am so sorry. My people have messed about with your life. I feel so awful about what's happened to you. To both of you. And he means it. He looks really wretched. I think back to when he was Zarl. When he was tied up. When he acted so convincingly when he talked about a woman he lost, whom he thought dead. About how he would give anything to see her again. I wondered if he was talking about me. No. I knew he was talking about me. We have so many issues to sort out between us. We really need a good relationship counselor. To think that due to skullduggery and cowardice from my own kin, there are now two Perrys in existence. Five, actually. At the last count, anyway. Says the man, lamely. Five? Five Perrys? Five? I... I don't believe it. How on Gallifrey can they make such a monumental cock-up with the Continuum? If ever I get back, I am going to... I have a question. They both stare at me like their pet dog has just cleared its throat and asked to go walkies. This other Perry. The one I just met. The one who becomes a warrior queen. Does she have any children? 
The man looks at the doctor as if asking for permission, and then consults his notebook. Yes, he says finally. Three. Two boys and a girl. Thanks, I say. I'm going now. Goodbye, doctor. Thanks again. It's been interesting. I leave the tortoise, and the doctor hurries after me. No, you can't go. Stay with me. I'm sorry about what happened. We, we can travel together again. We can have more adventures, you and I. Like the old days. No. You're going to get into that tortoise, and I'm staying here. But why? We have so much to talk about. We've said a lot of things. There's a lot of me about, with a lot of fates. But I think we both know my fate is here, and your fate is somewhere else. I walk away. Return back one last time for one last line. Look at it this way, Doctor. We'll always have Perrys. I walk up the beach and watch the TARDIS magically vanish, like a laughter line in an Olay commercial. Somewhere, there's a Perry running around the galaxy that, in a weird way, caught everything I wanted. I don't know if I feel good or bad about it. I'm sure my analyst will tell me to feel good about it, and I'm equally certain if I were to have me as a guest on my own show, I'd tell me to feel good about it too. My show. My silly little show that pretends to solve people's problems. Worried your wife's about to dump you for this year's movie star? Talk to Doctor Perpagillion Brown. Worried your man is spending a little too much time with his teenage co-presenter? Come on my couch. All worries discussed in confidence in front of a studio audience. I am queen of worries. Hence the name of my show. Yeah. I have a weakness for bad puns. Sorry about that. Funny about that title. I wonder if it's just coincidence, or maybe all the Perry's fates have echoes of each other. I walk back to the studio and pass through a door with the illuminated logo of my show on it. The words, "Doctor Perry Brown, Warrior Queen," shine back at me.